In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We know Christmas, the holiday, the festival, is about Jesus, born for us to save us. And we know Holy Week, of course, is about Jesus' suffering and death in our place. Easter, the great joyous festival that awaits us at the end of the season of Lent coming up, is about Jesus' resurrection for us from the dead, and our resurrection in Him. But what about the transfiguration? What is that all about? Take a moment and ponder that. Now this might sound a little obvious, but the transfiguration is all about Jesus. Matthew's account of the transfiguration, like the Exodus reading we heard, and St. Peter from the epistle, and every other scripture really, is all about Jesus. But of course, that's not quite enough to say, is it? A good follow-up question after that is always, what does this then tell us about Jesus? And the Transfiguration tells us a lot about Jesus, about who He is, and what He came to do on our behalf. His Transfiguration reveals that Jesus is the Son of God, the Father's chosen one. He receives the Father's word of blessing again, as He did at His baptism. It also reveals that He is the very glory of God, God's presence, but now in human flesh to save us. Jesus' transfiguration also reveals that He is the completion, the fulfillment, the final revelation of God's Word to His people. All of the Law and the Prophets, all of the Old Testament, is fulfilled and finds its fulfillment in Him. All God's promises are yes in Jesus, St. Paul says. That's why Moses and Elijah are also there talking with Jesus. And Jesus' transfiguration reveals to his disciples, but also to the world and to us, that if we want to know what God thinks or says, or how he sees us, all that we need and all we need do is to look in Jesus to hear what he says, to listen to him as the Father says from the cloud, this is my beloved Son, hear him. All we need is his word. The glory of Jesus' transfiguration also leads us on to Jerusalem and points us ahead to the great glory of Jesus' death on the cross for us. So as we meditate this day and as we sing and pray and remember our Lord's transfiguration, keep that obvious but important question before you. What is this telling us about Jesus? What is his transfiguration revealed to us about him? Matthew starts the account this way. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was metamorphosized, the Greek says, before him. His face shone like the sun, as bright as whiteness, His clothing became white as light. And as this story unfolds, Matthew takes us back in time a little bit, back to Exodus, back to Mount Sinai, to where Yahweh gave the law and his covenant with Israel. That too, you recall, as we heard a little bit of from Exodus, took place on mountaintop. And God's glory, his radiance, thundered forth from Mount Sinai, But there in Exodus, Israel was afraid and trembled. Moses got to see a little bit of the backside of God's glory from his hiding place tucked away in a rock. 
But here, on another mountaintop, the glory of the Lord is revealed again. In this God-man Jesus. And yet, this time, his disciples live. Though they are trembling with a little bit of fear, Jesus reminds them they need not be afraid. Peter and James and John see Jesus' glory for a little while anyway, and they live. He is on the mountain there, after all, not to thunder forth commands and condemnation, but to reveal himself as the true Son of God who came to do for Israel and for his disciples and for us what we cannot do, what we are incapable and unable to do. And so Matthew goes on to unfold this account of Jesus' transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared before them, talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles or tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Matthew is taking us a little deeper into the Old Testament still. The tabernacle that is mentioned by Peter, Jesus constructed in the Old Testament, and now the tabernacle where God's glory is present is built and founded in Jesus himself. And more, while Jesus is revealing his glory, Moses and Elijah are standing there too. And with them, the whole Old Testament, the law of Moses, the first five books, there in the flesh. The prophets, there in the flesh of Elijah, symbolized by him. And all of them, standing before the one who came and fulfills their very words. The same Lord who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, who rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, who led Israel through the wilderness and through the Red Sea, who poured out his blood of the covenant for the people. He now stands there on that mountain of transfiguration before Moses and the disciples, the very God and very glory of God in human flesh and blood, come to bring a Passover from his death and life to bring us into a new and better promised land. And the same is true of Elijah, the same Lord who delivered his word to his prophet, who defeated those prophets of Baal on another mountaintop with fire and sacrifice, who translated or took and brought Elijah into heaven without death, now stands before Elijah and the disciples as the one who will bring final deliverance both of delivering God's word and delivering the people by his word, by his own sacrifice, as he will defeat on a mountaintop the enemies of our Lord in a baptism of fire and death on the cross, and who will bring us with him into heaven, through the grave and up again to life. And so it's understandable why Peter would want to hold on to that glorious moment for a little bit longer, at least for a little while. We live in a world of pain and suffering and sorrow, a world where our own sin weighs us down daily, where the world around us is filled with so much death and misery, it's hard to see glory. So often it seems like death and destruction and evil and sin win the day, It's not hard to imagine why Peter wanted to maybe hold on to that glory for a little bit longer before going down the mountain. But of course our Lord says this is not the mountain where Jesus would have us stay, not yet at least. First, there's another mountain to overcome before the mountain of glory can come. 
It's why Jesus reminds his disciples at the very end, that last verse, verse 9, that he was, they were not to talk to anyone about this vision on the mountain, his transfiguration, until after his death and resurrection. Because it's only really after his death and resurrection that this event starts to make sense. So the father interrupts in a gracious way, but he still interrupts Peter. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud, just like the cloud of the Old Testament on the mountain of Sinai, overshadowed this mountain. And suddenly a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Listen to him. Just like the Father did at Jesus' baptism, the Father again speaks, My beloved Son, hear my chosen one. Listen to him. If you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what the Father gives us, we need look no further than Jesus. I'm sure we've all felt, at least a little bit, the same way that the disciples did there. They were afraid. They were trembling in the presence of God, fully aware of their own sin, knowing that if there was any hope at all, it had to be from Jesus. But the Father gently, graciously reminds them and reminds us to hear Him. Listen to Jesus. This one, He is my beloved Son. He is given for you. He speaks my words and gives you the word of life. He he is the very word made flesh come to save you. His word does what He says and promises His word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. His word is what gives you and reveals for you my great love. So Jesus says to his afraid disciples and to us in fear of our sin, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now isn't that that a wonderful phrase? A wonderful short two little word sermon? (laughs) Jesus only. Jesus alone. But in a way, he was not alone because he's transfigured just as he will later be crucified and risen for you. That you may be his own. That you may be gathered to him. And so, he is alone but not alone. You see the transfiguration. This whole event, it's all about Jesus. It's a reminder that as the Father says, Jesus is all we need. He reveals himself as the Son, who is God and yet man for you. The Son of God who speaks his word and reveals himself in his word to you. The Son of God who is present with you and for you. Not only in that word, but in the word that continues to be made flesh for you. And blood for you, to save you. The Son of God who will and does and has continually bears all of your pain and your sorrow, your suffering, who is with you in temptation and doubt and despair and death, the Son of God who gives us a glory that far, far surpasses even that of his transfiguration, the glory of his death for us, the glory of his resurrection, to which he joins us and makes us a part of in holy baptism. And so, as you go out this season of Lent that is beginning soon, Remember the glory that is yours in Christ and his transfiguration, the glory in his death and resurrection for you, and a blessed Sunday of the transfiguration to each of you.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.